0: You are listening to primary care perspectives a podcast where pediatric experts from the children's hospital of philadelphia discuss the primary care issues that are on their mind and the hot topics that all pediatricians see affecting their daily practice this podcast is for general informational and educational purposes only and is not to be considered as medical advice for any particular patient clinicians must rely on their own informed clinical judgment in making recommendations to their patients This is Dr. Katie Lockwood, a primary care pediatrician at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Today, I'm talking about the Transition to Adulthood program. And joining me is Dr. Dava Salda. And I had the pleasure of being co-chiefs with her years ago, but now she is an attending physician at CHOP, the director of the Internal Medicine Pediatrics Residency Program the co-director of the Transition to Adulthood program and the assistant professor of pediatrics in the Division of Oncology at the Perlman School of Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania. So thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. So we're talking about transition to adulthood. So when are we trying to transition to adult care? What's the optimal time?
1: Sure. So we think about transition to adult care, first of all, really starting at diagnosis for anybody Mm -hmm. who has a chronic illness, um, kind of thinking about talking to them about their diagnosis and about what the trajectory of their diagnosis is. But really for all adolescents, we're thinking about transfer to adult care at Mm -hmm. some point. Um, Many times we think about this happening between the ages of 18 and 22 years old, Mm -hmm. um, since that's when Folks have adult physiology, and we think about them perhaps finishing high school, mm-hmm. going on to work or college, and you're a, legal, adult. And you're a legally adult at that point. Um, the guidelines um, across CHOP even vary slightly based mm-hmm. on the division, but we've asked all divisions to talk amongst themselves about what their preferred transfer age is mm-hmm. um, and what they'll do
0: to help prepare patients to transfer at that age whether it be 18,
1: 19, or 22. Mm-hmm.
0: Is there a standard age at CHOP that we've decided is is the desired age knowing that there are going to be some division or disease specific um, ages, but is there kind of a more of a goal? Yeah, so especially for
1: inpatient admissions, there are guidelines that no one over the age of 22 should be admit- admitted unless there is a particular. Mm-hmm outstanding circumstance um, and certainly that can happen for again a particular disease process or a patient population that would be better served at CHOP than another hospital or mm-hmm. adult hospital um, but in general again that kind of range between 18 and 22 years is what we would think about for a transfer.
0: Mm-hmm. And part of the transition process includes assessing readiness and not to get too philosophical but when mm-hmm. is someone an adult and when are they ready to make all the adult decisions that come with transitioning to adult care? Sure. I think that this is
1: such a great question um, and I think really gets at the difference between even transition and transfer. So like transfer Mm -hmm. is really just the process of going to a new place, a new provider, Mm -hmm. um, going from that pediatric to adult medical care. But transition to adult medical care or adulthood is really a longer process. So, There are a lot of things that I think providers can do to help prepare their patients for transition or kind of continue along the transition process and assessing readiness is one of them. Um, There are formal tools out there that assess skills um, of adolescent and young adult patients in terms of their medical care. Um, One of them is the Transition Readiness Assessment Questionnaire or TRAC. So that's one of the validated tools that's out there in the literature and that we have used um, for a variety of different settings, different diagnoses or healthy adolescents and young adults. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is actually just a 20 question survey that patients can take, that parents can take a look at as well. Mm-hmm. Again, it looks at specific skills that are perhaps needed for success in adult care, Mm -hmm. um, but also is really just a conversation starter to start Mm -hmm. to think about asking your patients if they, again, understand a diagnosis if they have one, if they know how to refill their meds, if Mm -hmm. they know how to contact their providers. Um, So all things that would be really important to help navigate a new healthcare system. Mm
0: -hmm. And that's publicly available?
1: That is publicly available. Um, There is a nice national tool uh, called Mm -hmm. gottransition.org, and that would be one of the things, one of the many resources that you can find
0: there. We'll link to that on our site too. For some more complicated patients, perhaps people who are followed by multiple specialists, can you tell us about the MINT program and how this may help in the transition process?
1: Sure. So, uh, the Mint uh, Consult Service and Team is a group of multidisciplinary providers. So, there are MedPeds trained physicians, physicians who trained in pediatrics and internal medicine, nurses, social workers, and a youth community health worker who is actually a young adult herself who had a chronic illness and was followed in the CHOP system for 20 plus years and then transferred to adult care and had to navigate a new system in the midst of becoming a young adult, going to college, all of those things. Um, So our program really aims to work with some of those most complicated patients, the ones who have multiple subspecialists and or have intellectual developmental disability, because we know that those are things Mm -hmm. um, that make people at high risk of falling through the cracks, of having some lapses in care around the time that they're young adults and are transferring between multiple providers and institutions Mm -hmm. and perhaps support services mm-hmm. or school and work. So we accept consults um, here at CHOP um, for those types of patients. Our team will meet them, do a really thorough medical and psychosocial intake to kind of understand where they are, where their family is, mm-hmm. and then really help them to make a plan that would be their plan of who they're going to see, when they're going to see them. Mm-hmm. Again, if they need to get some extra social supports, if they need to change insurance or understand their insurance a little bit better. Mm -hmm. We can help with all of those things. And the reason that our team exists is because that's a lot to ask of a primary care provider. You guys know how busy you are in your individual visits, and you can certainly address some of this transition readiness in in visits. Mm -hmm. You can certainly kind of think about patient autonomy and empowering patients to do some of these things. But for our most complex patients, we know it takes a bigger lift and Mm -hmm. we can help out with that.
0: Great. That's super helpful since... A lot of our offices, too, don't have um, social workers or financial planners or th- exactly. people who can help with those services. Mm-hmm. So what are some things that we should consider for transitioning our patients who have intellectual disabilities or mm-hmm. on the autism spectrum? Yeah,
1: I think this is, um, again, a place that we see um, a lot of um, need and nuances um, when we interact with patients. Um, So a few of the main things that I think of, um, one is psychiatric care and behavioral Mm -hmm. meds. So in pediatrics, traditionally, these medications are described by Developmental pediatrics or neurology. Mm-hmm. As you might imagine, developmental pediatrics does not exist in adult <laughs> medicine. Right. Um, and so we really need to be thoughtful about if a patient is on behavioral meds, who is going to be mm-hmm. the owner of those meds, who's going to be prescribing them in the adult world. Right. Sometimes the answer is a psychiatrist, mm-hmm. sometimes the answer is a primary care doctor. Mm-hmm. Occasionally the answer is neurology stills, though again, neurology services tend to differ a bit in the adult world. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the things, again, medically, that we think about for these patients. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of the others that I think about are guardianship or power of attorney, which become increasingly important as patients age. Um, And so we spend a lot of time talking to families about, you know, what guardianship is, what power of attorney is, and helping them to seek Mm -hmm. um, those documents that way they have them, um, again, for interactions with new healthcare systems. Um, And our social workers are also really skilled at thinking about um, supports outside the home. So as all of you guys know, as primary care pediatricians, Um, some of these patients stay in school until they're 21 years Mm -hmm. old. And then we need to kind of figure out what is the best thing for them after that. Is it a day program? Mm -hmm. Um, Is it a different living situation? Is it home nursing? Is Mm -hmm. it job training for someone who has a lot of abilities? And we need Mm -hmm. to kind of think about what would be the best job uh, training program for them. Um, So that's something that we really help families think about because it's really so much more than just the medical care.
0: Right. Great. That's a great resource. So how can we help our patients find an adult provider and health insurance if needed? So maybe not the medically complex kids that need the MINT program, but what can we do to help them sort out where they should go next.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So for patients who are not medically complex, actually, where I usually start is asking their parents, who's Mm -hmm. your primary care doctor? Um, And if they have a a practice that they really like and that Mm -hmm. they're already um, engaged in, um, I often think about, well, is that someone that Mm -hmm. we should send Mm -hmm. your your child to as well? Um, I also think that, you know, within um, healthcare systems, so obviously we have a relationship at CHOP with Penn Medicine next door, so we mm-hmm. often look at the Penn practices um, as potentially being places um, mm-hmm. that our patients might geographically be interested in going to. Mm-hmm. Um, for some of our patients who, who may have... Um, a disease process that is originating in childhood. Again, we kind of think about MedPeds providers sometimes as being uh, uniquely suited to take care of those patients. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the tricky part, to be honest, really is the insurance piece. And so making sure that you're not just giving out a phone number and saying Mm -hmm. you can follow up there next time, but making sure that patients know that they should make sure that practice will accept them and communicate back. And that, you know, the pediatric practice is really still the medical home until Mm -hmm. that first or second visit has been made. Um, In actually uh, Philadelphia, there's something called the Ops Memo, which actually allows patients to kind of try on for size an adult medical provider um, before officially changing it over on their insurance
0: card. So that's actually a a nice option for patients as well. That's great. What sort of paperwork um, or records should we give our patients at their last appointment with us? I think this is a great question because in every single survey of
1: adult (laughs) providers that has been done, um, the probably number one thing that is um, said by adult providers is they either get nothing or they get 20 years of records. <laughs> and so as you can imagine, um, that's pretty difficult um, to sort through. They don't so, want to know about every otitis. Not every <laughs> single one. Um, so uh, what we usually um, help our patients um, to advocate for, and what we do when we see a very complex patient, is we create a medical summary. So mm-hmm. we create a, I always say, one to two page medical summary. But let's be honest, it could be three or four pages. Mm-hmm. That's OK. Mm-hmm. But a medical summary that has kind of the pertinent medical problems, again, any medications that we anticipate continuing, any medicines maybe that were tried that didn't work too well, Mm -hmm. obviously allergies, a little bit of psychosocial information. Um, And this number two thing that adult providers ask for is contact information Mm -hmm. for a pediatric provider and practice. So if you're comfortable putting down, you know, again, a more direct line or an email and saying I'm available to Mm -hmm. continue to communicate about this patient. Um, I think those are great things to have. Um, I will mention with technology these days two huge things um, in terms of electronic medical record is care everywhere, Uh which means that um, most places that have Epic can actually now see Uh CHOP records. Um, So they can see your last note, last lab's medications, allergies, I still would advocate for making that nice, concise medical summary that they can access, but they will be able to find some of those things in the electronic medical record. Mm -hmm. And advocating that your patients sign up for MyCHOP, um, Mm -hmm. even as they're leaving a practice, Mm -hmm. can be really useful so they can access that information. If for whatever reason the provider can't get on to Mm -hmm. CHOP via Care Everywhere, then the patient can actually pull up their information right Mm -hmm. there on their phone. And I think providers are are
0: very happy when patients do Mm -hmm. that. Great, and our team patients are pretty good at doing that, too. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> so what Epic support tools for those who are in the CHOP network um, or dot phrases exist to help us in this process? Yeah,
1: so we have developed um, a basically best practice alert assistant um, that can help out with transfer to adult care. Um, and that is live now in um, the, um, a lot of the primary care practices and probably expanding to some mm-hmm. of the others. Um, that basically reminds folks that when their patients are teenagers to just start thinking about this, mm-hmm. start discussing it. So you get kind of a reminder about that. And then there's a number of um, basically links that you can click off if they are pertinent to your patient, some just about kind of knowing about your medical care that can get printed with the AVS um, after visit summary. Others, like the transition readiness assessment questionnaire, again, can be printed as kind of food for thought or Mm -hmm. filled out during a visit with a patient. Um, There is information in there about practices um, locally in Mm -hmm. Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. Um, That way you can give out some specific practice information for Mm -hmm. patients to see if one of those might be appropriate. Um, And we're kind of working to improve that all the time. For our really complex patients, there also is right there where you can actually consult uh, the transition consult service or mint service.
0: Great. Thank you for building all those support tools for us. So we've been talking a lot about this, and obviously this is a lot of work that goes into transitioning. Mm both the transition process, but then the ultimate transfer of care, typing the letter that you mentioned, putting in um, consults and dot phrases and tidying up medical records. Mm -hmm. So is all of that transition of care work a billable service?
1: Yeah, that's such a great question. Um, so certainly um, if you're spending extra time with your patients um, to think about this, um, then you should be billing for it. So one of the things that we think about is using the prolonged encounter mm-hmm. Um Uh, codes to get credit for the extra time that you're doing in terms of just counseling Mm -hmm. surrounding transition to adult care. There also are care coordination codes. Um, I'll be honest, those are kind of newer codes in the past few years, Mm -hmm. um, and they are variably reimbursed by insurance companies. Um, but that is something uh, that our group is advocating for, um, to try to make some of that outside of the office work um, billable.
0: Mm-hmm. Great, good to know. What is the transition to adulthood program at CHOP? And and tell us about what comes under that umbrella.
1: Absolutely. So. Besides the direct patient care services, so we see, again, outpatients that are referred to us by primary care providers or Mm -hmm. by subspecialty providers who, again, just need that extra lift of, we know this is going to take hours and hours outside of a clinical encounter, Mm -hmm. and we can help to do that. Um, We also see inpatients who are adults at CHOP who need to be uh, hospitalized at CHOP because of perhaps a surgical procedure that's Mm -hmm. not available somewhere else. Um, So we will consult on those patients and do an internal medicine consult while they are in the hospital. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we do a lot of education and outreach, um, and we build a lot of these tools, some Mm -hmm. of which we discussed today. Um, So our group um, holds uh, some meetings um, in terms of our transition special interest group. Anyone, is a, is in, if they're interested, is welcome to attend those meetings. We share best practices across divisions mm-hmm. um, and talk about some of the research that's going on with adolescents and young adults in the institution. Uh, we also hold joint meetings between CHOP and PEN. Um, that way we can talk about specific patient populations and how best to transfer them mm-hmm. um, from pediatric care to adult care. Um, and then we try to educate nurses social workers and physicians really on dealing with adolescents and young adults and have gone to a number of division meetings or um, put on some continuing education um, again for multiple different types of providers
0: Mm -hmm. great Well, thank you so much for all of this work that you're doing at CHOP. Your program is amazing, and it's making the transition to adulthood less scary for our patients and really, let's be honest, for us. So (laughs) thanks for the work that you're doing, for coming to tell us about it today, and um, for uh, pointing us to some helpful resources and tools that we can use in clinic. We will link to those um, things that you mentioned in your program on our website, which is www.chop.edu PCP podcast. So thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thanks for having
1: me. Um, I'm glad you're going to post all of those resources. Um, specifically, a lot of them are included all in one place on our pediatric to adult transition pathway. Um, so check that out on the web. Thank you
0: thank you for listening to this episode of primary care perspectives you can download and subscribe to future episodes on itunes or visit chop.edu slash pcp podcasts for a listing of all episodes i look forward to our next chat